abandoned buildings, abandoned streets, abandoned neighborhoods, abandoned history. Almost half of the stops I cover on my Walk Beirut tour cover neglect and loss. And they're the hardest ones to bring back to life. From the largest structure in the city, like the Holiday Inn, to the most scarred part of Beirut, like Martyrs Square. These are stories that you need someone to explain, whether through narration, like traditional storytelling, or whether through art, from photography to painting. And some 10 years ago, I met Tom Young, a British painter who's made Lebanon his home. And Tom has painted many treasured relics in the city, from the Rose House in Ras Beirut, to Villa Paradiso in Jemaisi, to the Holiday Inn in the heart of the city, to the Grand Sofar Hotel in the eastern hills outside of Beirut. And within these abandoned stories, there's a blend of beauty and pain. And Tom acknowledges that part of his mission is to expose the pain to the right level to actually begin healing some of the wounds left from the Civil War. And Tom was meant to be in the souks of Saida, and an event that was meant to take place early November was postponed. Instead, he's back in Beirut, capturing the uprising through his work. The violence, the festivities, and I got very lucky because Tom gave me some of his time at his home to reflect on what the past two weeks means to him. The history coming back to life, what he takes from the uprising, what he hopes for, and his perspective as someone who's called Lebanon home the past decade and has seen periods of calm, periods of violence, and he's hoping for the best, and he's capturing the moment, and I think he does it well. I'll include his website in the details box and check out his work when it's on display. For episode 28, I'm Rani Shatah with Tom Young. This is the Beirut Banya. We have, of course, Martyrs Square just one block away, one block west of us. You have the sea just, you know, down the street here. Thankfully, the view is saved. We'll get into why in a bit. And uh, it's a lovely terrace. There's fantastic artwork inside. And on the other side, we have a view of the ports. Yes. Mountain Inn. You have the mountains. You have sunrise, sunset, the sea. It doesn't get better than this. Right. So, with that said, I'd like your apartment. <laughs> yeah. Sure, it is, a, it, is a, it is. It's a sanctuary in this city. It, it Absolutely. Yeah, a sense of space and light is, yeah, very important for me um, as an artist because those two things are essential to my work. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm certainly lucky to be here. Is this where most of your paintings are done at home? Do you most of the time paint here? Actually, normally I paint um, from a studio. Mm. My main studio is next to Mustache Pardon. Mm-hmm. So just Hickney, up the street, yeah. Uh, and so only about 10 minutes walk, which is great. Yeah. In route. I, yeah. I don't have to sit in the traffic. I can walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and But probably half of my working life is spent working on site mm. in normally old abandoned buildings of historical note, mm. such as the, the 
Grand Hotel in Salford mm-hmm. or the Rose House or the yes. Holiday Inn yes. where I was I was you know fortunate enough to actually be able to paint inside um, wow. and no other artist has officially been yeah. given permission to do that um, and that was a great honour um, so these kinds of buildings and also at I'm working at the moment in this amazing old, well, 300-year-old hammam in Cider's Old Souk. Um, So I'm preparing a big show there. And and that building was was one of the biggest, was the biggest hammam in Lebanon. Really? But it ceased to operate in 1949. Uh Um, So that's... You know that that that's an amazing place to to, to work in to and transform. You're able to. I mean, is that is it more inspirational when you're painting on site? And I, I use that term loosely here. When you're when you're at the place you're painting, is it yeah. is it better as an artist sure. as a painter? Yeah. I mean, I I, I I mean I I believe very much in a in a kind of spiritual energy mm. that really lives in these places. Mm. Um, and normally I do my exhibitions in places where nothing has happened since they were abandoned. Right. In normally because of the civil war. Yeah. The Hamam in Zaida was abandoned for other reasons because water was reaching people's private homes mm. by the nineteen fifties and also the State of Israel was established. Right. And I and from what from my research, the Hamam used to be the main Hamam for the Jewish community in Zaida. I see. And I that's see. a very interesting subject that I haven't really touched on yet. It's yes. obviously very sensitive mm, um, because of um, obviously the, you know the decades of conflict and occupation that followed. Yeah. You know the the, the Nakba, but um, so yes, yeah, so that's a very interesting place. Um, and yeah, I just. You know, you have to be in a place. You have to to, to, to really feel its energy, to, to connect to its history. Mm. And uncovering and, um, well, sometimes celebrating um, or at least honouring memories, yes. if they were difficult memories, yeah. is, is key to my work. And, you know, by working in these places, not only does the building speak to me yeah. you know it's it's about opening myself up so that I become a medium for those memories and spirits to to to, to speak through me through yeah. hopefully onto the canvas um, and um, yeah that's 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 key can you just tell me a bit about the holiday and what was it like actually painting the holiday and in the holiday and and I ask you because that's my favorite stop on the tour that I give, where I'm trying to bring that hotel to life. But, of course, not from the inside, from outside, and just looking at the damage and doing my best within 30 minutes or a little less to actually explain what happened inside to a large audience. But what is it like being intimate with the Holiday Inn? Well, I mean, <laughs> I, I, my, my first feeling on entering the Holiday Inn was one of sort of elation and joy because mm. it felt like some kind of hall- a hallowed ground. Yeah. A kind of, yeah, a semi, a kind of spiritual place. Yeah. Um, because I'd spent a whole year um, trying to get in. Um, 
letters to the army, to the general of the Lebanese forces, to, to the Lebanese army, yes, right. the LAF. Yeah. Um, so the Lebanese army, and also negotiating with the uh, Kuwaiti um, Sheikh Al Sabah, and she owns 60-70 percent of it. Right. So dealing with her legal team. Oh, so you had, to, you had to pursue the original franchise owner, the oh, Kuwaiti. Yeah. Wow. And and then she. You know, she has a different opinion as to mm. what to do with it mm. to the son of the original developer of Roland and uh, who owns 30% of it mm-hmm. Roland Abdini mm-hmm. uh, a very cultured man um, and architect um, he cares a lot for the building mm-hmm. um, both for its architectural merits you yes. know, it, 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 it's a very important modernist mm-hmm. building. It was designed by Andrei Vajensky. Russian architect, right? It was, it was Soviet... Polish. Uh, po- Polish, Polish, sorry. Polish, yes. French. Um, uh, and uh, Lebanese, Morris Hindi. Uh-huh. So it was, it was a double act. Okay. But the Andrei Vajensky was, mm. was the chief apprentice of Le Corbusier, who is the oh. father of modern architecture. Right. So this is a very important building uh, architecturally, but... It also means something to him emotionally because his father was the main developer. Mm. Mm. Um, and so, he, you know, he has an emotional family investment yes. um, in it. So the Kuwaiti side have a very different opinion as to what to do with it. And so it's been stuck in, yeah. in a kind of limbo deadlock yeah. since the Civil War. And being a high building in the centre of the city, mm-hmm. obviously the army have to guard it and, right. um, in case the wrong people get in and get to the top. Yeah. And it's a sort of symbolic hangover, of course, from the days of the snipers, when, yeah. when who, whoever controls the highest strategic points in the city would essentially control the city. Yeah. So... So you actually were interacting with the story itself. I mean, you're getting into the property dispute, you're getting into the legalities of why it's still there. So that's all just the appetizer. (laughs) That's that's just getting in. That's just getting in. And then getting letters from the British ambassador uh, through the foreign office, Mm. sent to the general of the Lebanese army, Mm. and all of these, you know, very complex negotiations. Of course, yeah. and getting to know, um, you know, various members of the Lebanese army, brigadier generals, in order to um, work with them, yeah, um, in a sense. And then, so I eventually got in, and once I got in, I was like, "Wow, I'm in!" And when you say it. got in, meaning that you were going to take residency in the holiday inn. I mean, you'd be well, in and out regularly and... Yeah, to go and paint and yeah. draw and study. Yeah. But, I mean, my ultimate goal is to open it to the public for an exhibition mm. because I don't... You know, I, I think it's very sad that the Lebanese public have de- are denied access yeah. to um, a building of such historical importance yeah. for the national memory. Yeah. Um, and a, a sort of transcendent cultural event inside the Holiday Inn could play a part in some sort of healing process. <laughs> I'm not saying that people can be healed. That's, that's, that's too far-fetched. But even if it doesn't heal anything, it still gives people a sense, um, a kind of, um, a sort of sense of ownership of, of, of their city. Yeah. Of, and through art as a kind of cultural screen 
some of these more difficult memories can be brought to life and made sense of yeah. in, in, in a sense um, and perhaps this sort of giant sort of tomb really it's a kind of giant skeleton in the yeah. centre of the city can can be humanised in some sort of way um, and that's what I'd love to do uh, is, is yeah a big public access exhibition but um, how close just, to, how just, just to get in myself was yeah. amazing and and, and and I mean, just in terms of how I felt, I mean, I was I was elated, but also, you know, I felt a sense of horror, and because mm. I, I, I I know certain amounts about what happened there. Yeah. Um, did you did you actually? I mean, was it spending hours at a time every day? Well, I I actually just got in for a whole day. Oh, so all of this for one day? Yeah. And I could go back again. Um, I mean, I've got a very good relationship with the Lebanese Army. I've, I've done a commission mm, mm. for them on the border with um, Syria. Okay. Um, and, um, so you're using your wasta to get back into the Holiday Inn? Well, <laughs> that's what you have to do in Lebanon. You know, you, you, know, you, have, to, you have to play all these even, games. Even the painter has to have connections with the army to get into the Holiday Inn. <laughs> I mean, you know, how... I mean, it's a very long way around. Sure. But you, yeah, you have to be very patient and very yeah. determined um, and very sure what the end goal is and um, but you had one full day to yourself and was it yeah. was the army overbearing at all were they watching and trying to the army were really friendly I mean one soldier actually took me up to the roof so so we climbed good, good. the emergency stairwell the yes 24 floors we you know and I saw well still signs of Torture there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there were sort of metal things from the ceiling mm. where they used to hang people. It looks like mm. you know, um, mm. it's some, some quite disturbing. Um, I've never actually there. said this on, on, in recording or anything like that, but I once ran into the Holiday Inn. Yeah. I snuck in, and I went up to the top to the what used to be the rotating balcony, which I'm guessing is where you saw the those those yep. sort of. There, it's it's hard to describe, but yes, exactly. Marks. Yeah, and bits of the marble that where the bar once stood yeah. and the rotating what's left of the yeah. rotating balcony, haunting is an understatement. It's almost like um, the worst elements of the Green Line stuck in time, yeah. and it's it's difficult to get there. You need a lot of connections and permission, but it is. I think it's that sign. It's that symbol of can't let this happen again yeah and I think that's probably where you're 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 speaking about the need to at least try to help people heal through their yes shared pain yeah. people should see what happened in the holiday and absolutely and now you know the youth of Lebanon are a generation whose parents probably didn't live the civil war yeah so so in a sense yeah it is about um, making sure that people don't go that way again exactly and and of course, now uh, more than ever uh, in the past two weeks, yeah, there is a danger of civil conflict. Well, let's um, actually let's talk about the last two weeks because you invited me graciously into your home, and there's a stunning portrait of what's happening in Martyr Square right right now. Uh, I mean, now as this is a subjective opinion, you've been here for 
quite some time. You're not new to Beirut. You're not ten new years. to... 10 years. Th- 13 years since my first visit. Which... But living here, 10 years. And these are... I mean, and when it comes to demonstrations, protests, or political unrest, the last 13 years have been very unstable. Yes. So you've seen demonstrations before, and you've yeah. seen... Well, I, I was here when Hezbollah basically camped out. Right. Took over the whole of downtown and yes. Martyr Square for... Oh yeah, you know, yeah. and I and, and I walked through that encampment and, and, and spoke to yeah. um, some of the people there. Um, so yes, I've seen mass protests before, but but as somebody who's not as somebody who's been here for a while, but not uh, not their whole life, where they have maybe a wider view that even maybe my parents would have, not myself. Do you feel that this time around is different for you, on a personal level? Yeah. I do. Why? I mean, I think I just I'm I'm so inspired by the sense of unity mm. Uh, mm. amongst the protesters. Yeah, the way that it crosses all economic um, and religious tribal backgrounds. Yeah. it seems obviously with one major exception, which we'll come to mm. later. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, yeah, the sense of unity and the sense of joy and of exuberance, and mixed with legitimate grievance and yeah. anger at a, at a corrupt yes. um, system and a determination to to really change Lebanon f- for the better and yeah. to make sure it gets you know the leadership that the people deserve because the Le- in, from my perspective <laughs> you know the, the, uh, that you know Lebanese more you know uh, generally are so smart, intelligent, clever, talented, um, funny, uh, there's a great kindness and a sense of hospitality, mm. um, and people generally speak, you know, at least three languages, and, and so smart, and I just can't believe how, um, you know, the Lebanese are so badly led by yeah. this corrupt system, and, you know, over the past two weeks, we've seen just that people have had enough um, yeah. and I never thought I never thought I'd see this day when people would just rise up and say no more yeah. um, and it's very inspiring and, and, and you know the sense of energy in the city is just you, know, you, you can touch it you can yeah. almost feel it um, and it's a very exciting time um, and yeah I'd love to contribute to this movement with my art and that's 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 what I think art can do it can perhaps give a, a kind of cultural face or a cultural voice yeah. um, and painting has this great emotional quality that perhaps photography and film well, well actually, they do have but they have yeah. in different ways but but painting has a, has a has a very um, I think human uh, tactile but also mm. romantic and emotional quality yes as a medium. Um, you know, I was actually going to get into this because I, I keep going back to the Holiday Inn, but it's not just the Holiday Inn. It's Selfar yeah. uh, Hotel. It's Villa um, Paradiso. Right Villa Paradiso, this. which is a story in itself. And, I mean, the uh, the, the Rose House yeah. in, in Ras Beirut. And, and the Red House, General Spears, the former residence. So these, Zarif. yeah, and I mean, there are endless photos of these places available. In Google images, you just sort of find them. And I might be wrong, 
I think you're the only person who's painted these locations. Yeah, I think. Well, the Rose House has been has been painted a fair amount. In its in its later years, or yeah. as an abandoned. Yeah. Oh, it has been. It's okay. An abandoned as an abandoned room, but yes, yeah. I guess what I do is quite. It's fairly unique, um, but and but it, but it's not just about painting pictures of them. It's sure, about sure. Reclaiming them. And as I wanted to ask you for the public. Exactly. So you are, in a way, it's a, it's your own personal mission because no one is pushing you to help preserve collective memory in Lebanon. I mean, this is an endeavor on your own. Yeah. I'm curious, just what what took you to this place? Because <laughs> I I know, and maybe it's a. Maybe it's a, a, a podcast series on its own. Maybe it's multiple episodes. Have you got until Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> but the, um, maybe just, is there something personal going on as well, that you're healing something within yourself? Because I don't know, I don't know anyone who's as determined, or for that matter, as patient, especially a year to get into an abandoned hotel. <laughs> The newer generation is unaware of that sort of painful past, and if they don't, if they know it, it's by accident. Yeah. Oh, that's the holiday, and they don't really care much more. Yeah. I, I think you're doing something very, very important when one day we decide to have that collective memory, and you're contributing to it. But why are you doing it? That's yeah. Good question. Well, I, I think, you know, going back right to the beginning, I mean, I grew up in beautiful old houses in mm. England. Mm. So I, I, have a, I have an innate um, love of these old buildings. Um, also, um, I trained as an architect. My degree was in architecture mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. university in England and, and for a term in Istanbul so I have um, you know a particular interest in architecture and what it means what these buildings mean for the community so you lived in places. Istanbul at, at some point before coming to Beirut you were yeah I studied there for, I for see. a term okay. at the yeah, university yeah. Mm -hmm. but I've been to Turkey several times and mm -hmm. as, as a student growing up um, and also actually Cyprus Palestine the Balkans Andalusia Morocco I see. You know, these sorts of places to a certain degree where, uh, the, as the cliche goes, east meets west. Yes, you know, right. The Islamic yeah. east meets, meets the Christian west. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Lebanon is a, is a classic, if not the most sort of graphic <laughs> case yeah. of that yeah. that exists in the world. Um, but, um, yeah, back to the old buildings. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm particularly... I think I was affected very much by certain events that happened when I was a boy. Um, my mother died um, when I was 10, and we were living in a big old empty house at that point. And, uh, and I just remember the sense of sort of longing and melancholy and sadness and tragedy mm. that I felt um, uh, after she died. And, and, you know, to some extent that sadness you know, will always be there, but it's yeah. it's a way of integrating the sense of sadness and loss, and the inevitable feeling and fear of abandonment. Yes, yes. Um, on an emotional level, um, and because 
my mother that actually took her own life, and that is that makes a difference. Um, I, I I feel, but um, um, but she was a very compassionate and uh, artistic woman. So so I see my work in a way is is, is a continuation right. of her, you know, best qualities and, and what she would have uh, really wanted me um, to do. So. Um, I think I feel that sense of abandonment when you walk around Beirut and you see these these mm. old buildings yes. falling to pieces, threatened with demolition. Yeah, um, the people have fled because of a sudden tragedy, which was right. the civil war. Right. So I think I identify uh, with that on an emotional level. Did you feel that when you came the first time on your first visit to Beirut? Was there an immediate yeah. reaction? Yes. Yeah. It was. It was. I came in spring 2006, so before the yes. war, just before the war, mm -hmm. to do uh, commissioned landscapes for the Lebanese family in oh, London. In I fact, see. For, for my mechanic, <laughs> who's Lebanese. Really? Uh, in in London, I was living in London for 12 years. So so he he done well. He built up a big business, and he he wanted some paintings of his So you land. stumbled into Beirut that way. Yeah. The mechanic commissioned you yes that's amazing I didn't know that because he, <laughs> he'd seen my paintings of France and Italy and, uh -huh. and Spain and you know Mediterranean places and he said right. oh, I'd, I'd, you'd, you know I'd love some paintings of my homeland uh, what was your I mean back then in 2006 before the July war when you heard Beirut or Lebanon if you can kind of go back in time What was what would have been your initial reaction to? I'm going to visit Beirut and like, did you have any? You, you knew him. Things. Yeah, things that I mean, yeah. you you traveled in the region. You'd been maybe you you knew him, so you had some contact with Lebanon. Yeah. But I mean, just what was your initial response? Well, I mean, I actually to wind the clock back at you a bit more. Mm. I I think. 9/11. I think all of us. Mm. That that was a that was a game changer for many people. Yeah. So I I was already interested in this region because of my studies and my interest in you know, the the parts of the world. You know, the Middle East, yeah. Islamic world. Um, in fact, my father, as a judge, was was the only judge in the justice system in, in Leicester and Peterborough. Northampton, where he worked in England, to reach out to the Islamic community um, mm. and, you know, try to engage with the sort of Sharia system. And so, growing up, I would go with him to uh, the households of, of, of Muslim community leaders. Okay. Uh, so I was engaged. Right. Uh, But that's England, more with Islam with, than than yes, Lebanon per se, right? right. I, yeah. But it, anyway, this is going way back, but. When I was young, of course, you know, the civil war in Lebanon would be on the news every yes, night. Yes. Um, so growing up, particularly around the time of my mother's death, I would watch these endless TV reports from this sort of dusty, smoky, <laughs> bombed out place called Beirut. Right, right. And I would think, what is this place, Lebanon? Yeah. You know, why do I have to hear about this? <laughs> well, a few years later I was I, I was I was going to find out <laughs> so it went into my mind and my sort of heart my mm. subconscious at a very early stage yeah 
but I was also aware of Lebanon as being, you know, a real sort of party place. Um, oh, place of so even then you had that you knew of that side to it. Yes, that there was a nightlife. That there was. Yeah, a, I knew yeah. it was very liberal. I knew it was very. Um, uh, yeah, I th- it, yeah, it was a place of many, many colours, mm-hmm. and so I, I was interested in how how could this place be both, you know, almost kind of paradise sort of heaven but also be the ultimate hell at the same time yeah and that contradiction um that coexistence of opposites was very interesting to me um and i'd actually already started pursuing the idea of the coexistence of opposites in my work in london um, on an abstract level I, i did two exhibitions basically and the exhibitions were were set in two spaces Uh, and one space was filled with blue paintings and the other space was filled with red paintings so I was trying to express a sense of um, extreme opposites and how they come together on a conceptual abstract level purely in terms of colour and so and then in London I was interested in East London and West London and they're very very different Um, so, I, so there was a natural interest already that you were yes. eager in that sense. You, right. This was almost the right moment to go. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, from several perspectives, artistic, conceptual, political, social, mm. religious. I mean, Lebanon just seemed to be this fascinating place that encapsulated so much of what I was interested in. And, yeah, I'd been to um, Morocco and Palestine and India and these sorts of places um, but I also love the south of France and, and Italy and, yeah. and you know, Spain and Lebanon has elements sure. of all of those places put together in a completely unique way um, yeah. and so when I when I came here I just had this immediate feeling mm. that I knew the place I knew I, I moved into a hotel uh, the, the Mayflower in, in Hamra <laughs> I knew, I immediately knew where the seafront was. I walked yeah. down to Bliss Street yeah. and got a Manushi, and for some reason I felt like I'd been here before. I already knew the streets, I knew the lay of the land. It was a very peculiar feeling. Um, and so you, you, know, you were comfortable right away? Immediately. And, and I, I see, perhaps I saw my own emotional past yeah. and the scars of the city. Right. Um, in a way that I didn't in London, in, in, in my mm. own country. Mm. I felt I understood to some extent um, people and they automatically understood me. That kind of unique level of contact and intimacy and belonging, is that the background to why you've decided to stick around despite being arrested twice? Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah. Because you've been given many chances to say, you know what, it's not for me, I'm out. Right. Well, I, I mean, the, several things happened that kept on bringing me back. And in fact, after my first visit here, I was I loved the place so much, I was going to come back on, on in, in the summer of 2006. Yeah. And the day my flight was booked was the day the Israelis started bombing the airport. Yeah. So I couldn't come. I watched in horror. As, as the news unfolded on the TV, and I decided I had to come back to to do workshops for kids in the damaged areas and Dakhir as soon as the war finished. 
so I did that and I came back and when, was, when was this so, so, this is awesome uh, okay so the airport's uh, reopened and you're able to fly into Beirut yeah, yeah. okay and I already had I'd made lots of new friends here and I kept in touch with them so I mm. wanted to show solidarity and yeah. give my support and work with the kids who'd been traumatized because I know you what it's like yes. to be traumatized as right. a child and right. to lose my mother and so on and had to move house a couple of times and, yeah. you know that, that feeling of tragedy instability and I knew very well and mm. uh, I I I think that these tragic events in anyone's life can be used almost um, to do something positive if you know how to harness a sense of tragedy and sadness and transform it. And so going to Dhaka in 2006, I mean, I'd never seen anything like it. It was like Armageddon. It was like huge bomb crisis. It was incredibly moving. And... um, yeah, so I, I I did that. But then after going back to London, I did a big exhibition to raise money mm. for, for, for the relief effort in Lebanon. And I exhibited my paintings and the kids' paintings yes. in London. Um, and But then I thought, oh, this is th- I'm getting too close to this place. Mm. This is freaking me out. I don't want to get too attached to Lebanon because it's not safe. Right. So I was resisting it. Mm. And then an Indian friend, Bangladeshi friend of mine in London, and um, an English family too, they wanted paintings of India. Uh-huh. So then, so I thought, yes, I'll go to <laughs> India. That's going to blow my mind, and right. I'll forget all about Lebanon. Yeah. Well, I did go to India, and mm. it is amazing. I mean, it's it's a universe in itself, and, and so sensual and, and infinite. Um, but. I came back to London with my paintings of India and this Indian art dealer called Indar Pasricha, who's since passed away, bless him, um, was, heard about my work and he only exhibits paintings of India. His whole career mm-hmm. was based on, on, on exhibitions about India. He said, Tom, I want to come and see your studio. So Indar came, he saw my paintings from India and he said, yeah, these are okay, but what is this stuff? Uh-huh. And he saw my paintings <laughs> bombed out by Root yeah. and, and the kids' work. And he said, this is amazing. Uh, you know, I, 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 want, I want to give you an exhibition, Tom, but for the first time in my career, I'm going to make an exception. I don't want you to go to India. I want you to go back to Lebanon. Wow, so even your reluctance, it, like your personal reluctance, and yet you're I, being yeah. driven back to Lebanon. I, <laughs> I went to India to get away from Lebanon. And, and here, because I went to India, <laughs> I got sent straight back to Lebanon. Wow! And that, it, and I just started to to then realize, just stop, you know, resisting. Just, just go with the flow, and 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 you know, pursue. If you if if you feel that you love this place, just just keep going with it, and and, yeah. and, and let it unfold, and and it just carried on un- unfolding. Um, I did the show in London. It didn't go that well because of the economic crash that happened in mm-hmm. 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but then uh, a Lebanese artist friend, Zaina El Khalil, visited my studio in London. She saw my work and she said, wow, you've got to exhibit this in Beirut. So she put me in touch with a gallerist, Ida Shafan. And Ida loved the work and she said, you have to come. To Beirut, 
uh, bring all these paintings over and I will buy them up front oh, wow. in cash and wow. this was I was I was getting in debt in London because of the crash and, I, and, and it was a real struggle and here was a gallery in London so it's not just an emotional it, reason anymore it's a, it's almost like a professional it's reason an economic, it's an economic I, reason yeah I, I'm also an economic migrant <laughs> You're the only one. I hope you're not. You're not on the list of. We're not going to need your bank records. Hopefully not. (laughs) But uh, but I thought, wow, yes. Uh, So Ida then bought all the paintings. They started selling, Hmm. and she said, "You have to come and live here for about six months and do a show here." This is 2009, 10. Essentially, never left. But is it is it something that changed over time? So in 2000, by 2011, 2012, aside from that brief period where you had to leave, this was becoming home. Yeah. But did it, did it evolve into something else? Because anyone can sort of commit themselves to another country and feel at home. But as your belonging here, did it take on a different meaning over time that you felt that you were now contributing yourself to Lebanon's story? Yeah. Yes, I, I guess. I mean, as an artist, I, I want to be in the place that inspires me the most. And mm. Lebanon does inspire me mm. more than any other place. Mm. And so the source of inspiration is here. And, um, and I felt that I could shine here. Yeah. You know, whatever my star is, it shines the brightest here. Yeah. Um, and I want to... to yeah, to keep doing that, and um, and I feel, I suppose, a sense of meaning. I mean, that's what mm. everyone's looking for sure. in, in their lives. And um, I felt like, as an artist, I can really contribute something here. Um, you did something magical, and we, I mean, the the Rose House story is relatively well known. Mm. That it, it's, I mean. It's still there, unfortunately abandoned again, but yeah. it's, you know, but what is less At known... At least it wasn't demolished. Yeah. At least it wasn't demolished, that's true. But literally just up the street from your from your home in the middle of Jemaisi, whether it was intended or not at the, in its initial stage, you helped preserve a part of Beirut. I mean, you preserved the building yeah. through your art. Do you feel like this is a more than just an, a personal accomplishment, that there's something deeper here, that you're that you beyond preserving your view to the sea, <laughs> you actually saved a family story and you yeah. saved a bit of Beirut's story in the process and yeah. to the point that it's now a... It's, it will not be brought down. It's a, an, an ambassador's residence. Yeah. So Villa Paradiso, on an emotional level and maybe on a, also on a professional level, did you know when you started painting and you were in there physically that you would help save this building I didn't know that would happen I mean I, I must say I, I played a role in it mm. um, I mean the the architect who owns it Remy Fagali mm. you know without his vision it wouldn't be what it is today mm-hmm. I, I have to say and, and his father Flavi Fagali but um, I definitely played a part in, in, in bringing it alive Yes, and also because it became a cultural space and, and an exhibition centre because of my intervention that's when the EU ambassador Christina Lassen saw it yes. fell in love with it and then they 
invested in further renovations and it is has been preserved. So it required a bit of luck in that sense that she saw it too and she wanted it to be the residence yeah. as well. But I mean, yeah. you did you know that you were on the verge of saving not just, of course, not just a building but a part of Beirut's story? And Well, exactly. I mean, all these buildings um, contain these uh, amazing stories, usually yeah. family stories mm. uh, in the case of the houses, although in the case of the Grand Sulphur Hotel and Holiday Inn, it's a national story right. because hotels obviously are not to domestic spaces sure. and the Hamam sure. inside it as well yeah. um, they're public community spaces so, mm -hmm. but the houses have this intimate family uh, history and and the families whose belongings I found, all their diaries and letters and photograph yeah. albums and perfumes and so on. Um, yeah, the Armenian family, the Balumians, um, and I discovered their story. So that was fascinating because I got a real insight into the Armenian-Lebanese um, connection. Right. Um, and I and I and I know a fair amounts about the Armenian situation because. Some of well, my, one of my closest friends in Beirut, Jackson Alice, is American Armenian, yes. and also my father, by complete coincidence, well, although there are no coincidences, having retired as a judge, um, is is now a scholar of Armenian history, and uh -huh. and is doing has been doing a PhD in, in research about uh, the last days of Armenia before the genocide. Wow. So I was. You know, it was an amazing project in a way because it brought me closer together with my father. Of course, yeah. And that's a lovely, you know, we speak about the tragic loss of my mother, but, you know, I have to remember my father too. And, and, uh, and it was, it's, it was it's lovely to collaborate with him. It was um, a thrill to that. watch you together because I, yeah. I was there in the opening, the, well, I think it was the opening night uh, where he was in, he was yeah. in the building, he was in the oh. home, Giving a lecture, giving a lecture about yeah. the family story that right. I uncovered and his own research and, and weaving them together. I mean, I I I tracked down the family mm. who used to live there, whose whose belongings I found, mm. and they'd fled Lebanon during the civil war mm -hmm. at the beginning of the civil war in the late seventies because they were the eldest son was shot and they were and the building was being fired upon and occupied. So they fled. Most of them went to New York. But I was able to put them in touch with my father so they could tell him their story. I see. And for, for the, the Armenians generally don't have the kind of representation that you know, the Jewish community has in Hollywood, for example. But it's generally only Armenians that tell the Armenian story. But I think it meant a lot for them to have a British judge tell yes. the story of the genocide. Right, and right. Because it, and and I, I think that was an important and a British artist too. Um, but so, you're, but so you're, I became yeah, yeah great friends with the family, and they they were so appreciative of what I did, and and in fact I've just been to a, to Armenia to a, to a wonderful wedding of, <laughs> of the great grandson of the family, whose belongings I found, and we've become great friends. Um, and I after doing the show in in Villa Paradiso. I went to New York to return the belongings to the family, mm -hmm. and they all came to the show in Manhattan, wow. um, where I did um, a lecture and an exhibition, and they bought paintings 
to show their appreciation wow. yeah. of their old ancestral home. That's incredible. And they got all of the belongings back. Right. Um, and so, yes, I think, although I'm very interested in, in these places from an architectural perspective, in the end, it's the human story that really matters the most. And Is it this blend of an architectural skill, in a sense? You've studied it and you, you, you're... I mean, you may have ended up an architect had you not pursued painting. Yeah. Um, is, it, is it this blending of both, this, this ability to portray your emotions through paint and having that knowledge of the architecture of a building? I mean, is that the magic here, that it's, you have both and you're able to appreciate, yeah. you're able to deliver on both sides? Yeah. Yes. So, so in other words, landscape in itself is not... I mean, you were you were commissioned initially to do something which may not have required the architectural background, but you're in a city that is celebrated for its architectural diversity and chaos, yeah. and you're painting it. Yes. Is it is it is it's, that what's going on? Oh, it, exactly. Hmm. It's it's a real synthesis hmm. of the two. Um, it's the work is about a sense of place mm -hmm. and identity mm. and what that place means on an emotional level yeah. um, in terms of um, the history of a place yeah. and, and bringing alive memories um, not just for those older generations who, who lived these times or, um, but for the younger generation who, who are cut off from right. the memory and history of Beirut yeah. um, so it, it Sure, it's some of it's about nostalgia and, 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 and looking back at, at the glory days and some very young, you know difficult times too. Mm -hmm. But it's about the future too and yeah. galvanizing a sense of um, togetherness, unity, and, and identity amongst the, the Lebanese youth. Yeah, because buildings on their own and also history textbooks on their own, they, they don't really um, mean much. For most young people, completely but if, agree. But if they can walk into a place yeah. and see these wonderful old buildings and, and, and enter these, these these magical structures and, and, and get a sense of where this history happened, yes, that's how you do it. Oh, that's how I do it. Certainly. So you have recently been attending the demonstrations in Martyr Square, and before we started recording, you showed me your most recent contribution which yeah. is a painting of what's happening right now and I you said something earlier and I find this very interesting uh, that you are mo most of the time you're entering places that have been abandoned for quite some time yeah. and then you're connecting to yes. I mean I'm mostly Civil War era abandonment yeah. but not necessarily the Hammam is another example yeah. Martyr Square is alive and you are you're portraying a part of the city that is currently emotional and celebratory and almost like a festival. Yeah. I give the tour every Sunday and I try my best to bring what is happening right now to life. Mm. <laughs> and I mean, I think I got it right on a, as a sort of one-man show. Of course, I'm upset I can't give the tour right now because of what's happening. At the same time, I'm really happy I don't need to give the tour because it's happening on its own. The story of Martyr Square is alive. It's being written. As it's we being speak. written exactly, and you know what? It's that part of this part of the city that is continuously rewritten 
and it's consistent. The painting that you are doing right now of Martyr Square, is it that it is an abandoned part of Beirut that is now full of energy? Yes, that's a very interesting point. I mean, I, I've always been interested in Martyr Square mm. as, as an architectural space because it is like a sort of gaping uh, hole, really, yeah. in the heart of the city, yeah. which, because of the Civil War and... and um, and horrible and, urban planning and... Yeah, and just yeah. dreadful mismanagement yes. of, of the reconstruction. And um, But because it's empty and disused and abandoned, it, it, it can host movements yes. such as, you know, the, the Cedar Revolution 2005, the, right. the Hezbollah sit-in in 2007-8. The You the, Stink uh, movement the a stink few years movement. ago. And now the most, you know spectacular of them all yes a show of, of, of national unity I yeah. that no one's ever seen before yeah it's it's a it's a it's an absolutely um, seminal moment in the history of Lebanon and to witness that happening literally only a block away from where I live I mean I can hear yeah. it at yeah. night and, and during the day is incredibly inspiring and yeah it I mean my interest in 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 exploring history in my work just got current <laughs> I mean it's like <laughs> right like, here we go I'm going to guess to the present that painting could not be done without the current revolt yeah I mean I've, I've been painting pictures of the crowds but also people burning tires right that I yes. witnessed yeah actually at the beginning of the revolts of the mm. uprising when I was driving back from Saida and because yeah. all the big roads were closed because of the fires I had to drive through Ozai and Dahi mm. I mean and that's when I thought something extraordinary was going on because in Ozai at night um, I I, uh, I witnessed this huge street party and burning tyres everywhere yes, yes. and they were playing you know thumping hip hop and, and sort of Arabic tunes out of a sound system and waving only Lebanese flags. Yeah. And I thought, wait a minute. Something's different. I thought this was, a, you know, this Vala area. And I, that, that struck me as rather strange. Now, as we've seen, we certainly saw yesterday with, when, when all the Hezbollah thugs yes. attacked the protesters, as they have done sporadically throughout the last two weeks, um, it's not all of the poor Shia who, who are cheering for Lebanon. Exactly. But in Azai, they were. And yeah. I, I thought, wow, this is what is going on. This yeah. is surreal, and that, and that, and, and that was, that was almost more instructive than, than what's been going on in Martyr Square. Yeah. So, so, so I, I began painting that, um, mm. and, but, you know, I came back to Beirut, uh, and we postponed the Cider project till probably next spring, um, uh, and. It's just been just electrifying. <laughs> I mean, uh, emotionally, artistically, and I feel like, yeah, what can I do to contribute? And so I'm, I'm motivated to paint what I see every day. Um, there's no time to lose because, yeah. you know, with social media and, and, and so on, and, and the help of, in fact, Dorian Lejour published a, a piece about my work you know, through the media, I can yes. contribute something to the spirit of what's going on. Absolutely. Um, whilst not being Lebanese, um, it's it's not necessarily my battle to fight. But as an artist, 
I can contribute something. Um, you know what's interesting is, I mean, there's there's many ways to, in a way, document the moment and capture it. And this is, of course, the the probably the most artistic way of expressing emotion. And I think what's always incredible, and I say this as someone who's too familiar with, with what's happening, the your painting of the tents and the, the in a way the determination to hold on to Martyrs Square. It took twelve hours at most, could be even less, for those tents to be ransacked, burned to the ground, and then brought back up as if nothing happened. Well, and, and your painting next to it of the fire and the demonstrations but on the other side the the protests against the protests and you said the thuggery against these protests the resistance the resistance the so-called resistance can happen also within hours it can escalate to a tipping point but quickly back down as if nothing happened and that to me i think is impossible to explain to someone who hasn't been here for a while because it's just it's so fast and it's instant Right, yeah. it's in- instantaneous, and I think this is why. Actually, I, when I first stepped into your studio inside, you're, I like that they're really they're both they're the same. Both can happen. Yeah. Hopefully, the tents stay, and hopefully, the protests in Martyr Square yield tangible results. Yeah, um, I, yeah. I think possibly that's what the movement needed was some outrageous. Yes. To, to actually sharpen and focus the minds right. of, 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 of the people who were trying to do something positive. Yeah. Because there was no sectarian slurs thrown on the other side. Yes. Yeah. And that's powerful. I think the success, the, the ultimate success of, of the movement depends actually on turning really against those who wish to derail what is a very positive movement. Yeah. And... Um, I mean, I, funnily enough, I was actually started the painting yesterday um, morning. I mean, I went down <laughs> and I'd been going down to the tents and meeting the protesters and talking to them and, yes. and taking photographs and sketches. And I was planning the painting already. And then I went down to the tents to verify a few architectural details yeah. um, on a technical level. And that's when it kicked off on the ring. Right. So I walked up to the ring and I saw big yes. fights between Hezbollah and the police and the protesters. Um, so I I actually witnessed in real time what was happening. Yeah. I was there. Yeah. I mean I saw, and and only last Friday I was I was in the crowd in Riyadh al Sala when Hezbollah attacked us, and, a, and yeah. a rock flew past my ear and it was very scary because I thought if that rock had been you know thirty centimeters that would have hit me in the head. Yeah. So when you see that level of violence and aggression so close up, you know, that it kind of motivates me to, to support and to, through my paintings, you know. Yeah. But it's actually very frightening when you see it so close. Yeah. And um, I was quite shaken, and I've been trying to transform that sense of fear into something beautiful uh, to help what's happening. And... But I, I went down to the tents in the morning. Then I saw the fight on the ring. Then I went. I came back home. I, I turned on the TV, and I couldn't believe my eye. Just smashing it to pieces. Yeah. And the police and the army were just standing by, doing yeah. nothing. And I was horrified. And um, and when I saw 
you know, on LBC and TV. When, 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 when the thugs had left, I went straight back down yeah. um, as soon as I could um, and helped them rebuild yeah. the tents. So I, 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 I had, I didn't, at that point, I didn't just want to paint it. I actually wanted to go down right. to show solidarity yeah. and physically help them put the tents back together and then, then come back. Yes. And then paint the picture <laughs> of yeah. what it was in the morning. Right. So I could, so not only actually help rebuild it with my own hands, yeah. but actually then paint what was now a memory yes. of yesterday or this morning. Right. So in a sense, my practice of painting memories <laughs> of what was before it was lost, you know. And you yourself are rebuilding that memory physically. By reconstructing what was lost that morning, yeah, and, and in and a way, clearing up the rubbish. and clearing up the rubbish, and just being there, I think, just on a sort of, an, just just as a presence, as a, as a encouraging, yeah, just trying to give positive energy and, and hug people down there because because the people in the tents were shell shocked, yes, and, and some guy got his leg horribly broken, and um, they were really. They were really traumatized, and I just wanted to give them a hug and, and just sort of uh, do something, and yeah. um, um, you know, hand out some scotch tape because <laughs> because the tent poles were snapped, yeah, and things like that. Um, I think, Tom. I think there's a few constructive ways to open wounds and get something better as a result, and one of them is maybe going into the wound, whether it's an abandoned home or the site of a riot, or even for that matter, seeing it and trying to fix it and heal it yourself. Um, I think very few, very few avenues are available to access pain and then yield something better. And whether or not you're healing your own pain as a result, I think Lebanon's very lucky to have someone like you as committed to the future of this country. And I say this as a fellow storyteller, albeit without any painting skills, any talent whatsoever. I think uh, memory is much more important than we all realize. And collective memory in this country is even more important. And uh, with that, I really thank you for sharing your story. Thank you, Ron. his home, Tom went back to painting the events in Martyrs Square. And we've now entered the third week of the uprising. And at night, the ring was closed. This morning, it was reopened. There are still calls for more figures to resign. And for the first time since the uprising began, banks officially reopened this morning. It remains unclear what the next cabinet will look like. But it's clear that even if the number of protesters has declined the last few days, the political consequences of the uprising is only beginning. If you're enjoying these episodes, please consider a contribution through Patreon. The link is in the details box. And if you want to stay updated with new episodes, simply subscribe to the podcast from your preferred platform or find us on our YouTube channel. Until next time, I'm Ronnie Shatta. This is the Beirut Banyan.